allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence has become crucial to our salvation. Tell me how many lights you see. Yeah! Oh! It's all night! This is how liberty dies. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening. I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And I am Dave Sellers. And we, of course, are sans Chrissy. Chrissy's doing winter shelter, as you know. And M is hacking up a hairball. So we are not, she's not with us tonight, unfortunately. We would love to have her with us talking to Dayton. Uh, which, by the way, Dayton's with us. Yay! <laughs> yes, welcome, Dayton and Miles. Did you want to give a short introduction to Dayton for those of you for those that may not know who Dayton is? I don't know how you wouldn't, but Go well, ahead. you will now. Yeah, our, spe- <laughs> our special guest host is prolific writer Dayton Ward. He is the author of the Star Trek Discovery novel, uh, Drastic Measures, and several other Star Trek novels, comic books, and other genre tie-in novels. Dayton is also a consultant for CBS on Star Trek licensee projects, including publications for Simon Schuster and IDW Publishing, as well as a huge fan of Planet of the Apes and the prog rock band Rush. More importantly, Dayton has been a friend of the podcast for over 10 years and somebody I enjoy reconnecting with at the Shirley Conventions every year before COVID took that away from us. Dayton, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. It's great to have you. Well, hi, guys. It's nice to be back. It is great. I was trying to think how many times Dayton's been on the show. He's uh, He has to be one of our more regular guests. Oh, man, I have no idea. It's know. been a while. I know that much. It, 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 while, it has been a while. And um, But I, I know there was a while there where we were doing movie talk and mm-hmm. book talk. Christmas, quick Christmas wish list and all oh, that yeah. other kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Then you found better guests. So you no, you, you, we haven't done a Christmas <laughs> wish list in a little bit, have we? No, we put that on the shelf for now. Yeah, so we'll have to do that again. Uh, that was that was that was fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I think it was a little bit more fun when Phrase actually worked at Think Geek or something. Then we like friendly. It was back, yeah, when Phrase was still working for Think Geek. Yeah, I Think Geek was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. But, but anyways, well, yeah. and, uh, awesome. Well, uh, so Dayton, tell us a little bit. Uh, Miles gave you this huge rap sheet at the beginning, but. Um, What's been going on with you as far as writing goes? I consulting for CBS. I mean, how did that happen? I mean, tell we. I don't know that we've talked since then. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. Had it's been a minute, hadn't it? Yes, uh, a hot minute. So, um, I guess this started back when Discovery was still in its infancy in terms of development. Um, I had been aware of Discovery as a thing several months before they announced it and i also knew like kirsten Beyer when they hired her i I was aware of that several months before they made that public knowledge and so i got to kind of have a not a ringside seat but i got to you know i was kind of paying attention to what was going on because she would call me every once in a while and she'd pick my brain about star trek trivia and i know she was doing that with other writers too and other friends of hers uh, but she and I had regular conversations early on, and I had no idea what was going on. I mean, I, I wasn't clued into anything at that point. 
uh, I just kind of knew, okay, she's asking me about Klingon this and Starfleet that and technological this and technobabble that. And uh, so as it all started to come together, then I got approached by Pocket to, or, you know, Simon and Schuster to write what was going to become the second uh, Star Trek Discovery novel. Um, so at that point, I got read in and I got to read all the scripts and for the first season and see the production art and all of that stuff. So by the time they announced the book that I was writing, I had already written it. It was already being edited, and I'd already been spoiled on the first season. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew all I knew all about all the twists and turns that the first season takes for people who are listening to this and have not yet watched it. Um, so that's because that's my most frequently asked question: Is did you know about Lorca or you know or something? I'm like, yes, I knew about all of that. <laughs> um, and then uh, last, well, what year is this now? It's 2021, so and it's been 100 years since then. So not 2020, 2019 is when CBS hired me to kind of be a consultant with as a go-between between licensing and the writer's room on Discovery and then later Picard. And different licensees, so like Simon & Schuster, IDW, and other licensing partners who are, were doing Star Trek you know, tie-ins that are story-driven, like narratives, so games, comics, that sort of thing, books, anything with a narrative that tied into the new shows. I was sort of like a liaison. I would read the read their pitches, read their outlines, read their manuscripts, and look at the art and make sure that it was consistent with what the show was establishing. And then that sort of kind of ballooned out as each new show was announced. Because how many do we have now? Like a hundred different shows that they're <laughs> yeah. producing right now. I know. Um, so as every new show gets added, my work uh, sphere increases. So now I'm reading, you know, I'm reading scripts for all the shows. So including uh, Picard and Discovery and Strange New Worlds and Prodigy and Lower Decks and stuff that you, you know, they've talked about, but still kind of in the ether. Um, and then also, so dealing with the licensees and also doing basically whatever John Van Sitter's wants me to do and doesn't feel like doing himself uh, <laughs> so okay. i get a lot of i get a, i get a lot of review work for you know uh different types of brand expansion or brand development that's the name of the group is uh cbs global it's global franchise management and star trek brand development so anything that's expands the star trek experience beyond what's on tv and on film that's sort of what they do so store you know theme, when you can, and that could be anything that could be theme park attractions museum exhibits art shows you know which you've seen some of all of that already um at different places around conventions and stuff so it, chances are i'm behind the scenes in a lot of that somewhere even if it's just reading over it and offering thoughts to whomever even if they don't take my note, you know, I'm like, okay, this is cool. Or they need to trek this up a little bit over here or that kind of thing. So yeah, it's 24 seven, all Star Trek, all the time, all flavors at Ward Manor. And so this is a full-time job for you. Basically it's a full-time, it's, it's not quite a full-time job, but it's the biggest part-time job I think I've ever had because there are days when I might not do much at all, except maybe read a couple of emails and comment on something. And then there's days when everything drops, like, you know, like example, the first Monday after the holiday break, um, <laughs> That kind of thing. So it's it's just it ebbs and flows, uh, but it's you know it's by no means boring. And I'm getting paid to play with Star Trek. So what's there to complain about? <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is like a dream job for you. Kate. It's a it's, it's a bit of nuttery. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad you hate Star Trek, though. I mean, unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I was more of a Star Wars guy, so I kind of got screwed on that deal. No. Uh, um, if uh, only if, we're, if only we're kind of the apes. Come on. Yeah, really. No, I mean, it's fun. It's, it's fun to, uh, I mean, and I'm not a decision maker or anything like that. Like I don't 
point out something in a script and they change it. It doesn't work that way. But I mean, we make sure that things like, so we're reading all the, I'm reading all the different scripts, but one of the things they might ask me to do is make sure that if this show is doing something with this bit of Trek lore, one of the other shows shouldn't be trying to do something with that same bit of Trek lore. And certainly not in a way that contradicts what the other show is doing. You know, it's that kind of thing. So like I'm like it's like a traffic cop sort of thing. Hang on, hold the phone. You can't do this because that show already established that. And whether it's one of the currently in development shows or even one of the classic shows, it's like you can't do this with this alien because it was established in next gen episode. Blah blah blah. That they did that. And then of course you get the long, deep, heavy sigh over the other end of the phone when they point that out. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, well, because you, know, you know what a nerd. I'm like yes, but that's what you pay me for. Right. Right. So so you, uh, so, you so you are the canon police is basically what you're I don't saying. know that I'd be calling it that far, but I do make <laughs> notes and, and things like that about hey, um, if you get, and I, but also it's more like hey, here's an opportunity to do a cross pollination between show X and show Y. You know, show X is doing this, and if you did this, you'd be it'd be a cool tie-in or a cross reference that kind of thing. So you can share alternate suggestions. Yeah, and they can either take it or not as they see fit. I mean, it's their show. They're, they get paid a heck of a lot of money to make a TV show. So who am I? Right, right. I, um, but my I'm concern seated. mostly is for the tie-ins. It's like, okay, you you know, now that now that the shows are establishing this bit of lore, here's where the comics and the novels and the games and the other the the, the RPG like you know, Medithius, the Star Trek Adventures role playing game. Now they're getting into the Discovery and Picard realms. So it's like, all right, let's make sure that what you want to do with your game fits with what the show has established you know and x y so there's it's a lot of that it's just mostly you know keeping the licensees straight and offering them opportunities and finding opportunities for them to use or to exploit so you are swimming in jealousy here (laughs) so you aren't negotiating the deals you're just making sure the content kind of like yeah i'm strictly like a story consultant narrative consultant whatever you want to call i have nothing to do with the business side of anything Good Lord, no. They don't need me to do that at all. Because I'd be like, <laughs> ship it all! Make it all happen! <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. uh, so you are, I mean, beyond that, you're also uh, writing your own stuff? Yeah, when, when, when I get the extra five minutes a day, sure, I actually try <laughs> to write my own stuff. So I'm working on a book now. In theory, theoretically, I'm working on a book right now. <laughs> yeah. Right now, while you're doing this podcast, you're working on a book. <laughs> You laugh, but you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So is there anything you have coming down the pike personally that uh, you can talk about or kind of like everything's under wraps? Well, I mean, let's see. My mo- The most recent thing I had that came out that was Star Trek related was uh, a novel that came out last summer called Agents of Influence. It was an original series novel set during the five-year mission. And then, you know, it kind of got buried by the pandemic, but right literally almost to the day as we were locking down and masking up and, and digging into our bunkers, I had a book come out called Kirk Fu, which was basically a, a guide to how to fight like Captain Kirk with using all his crazy moves from the original show. And <laughs> it, it came out March the 15th, and I think we all went bunkered like the next day or something. Right. So it kind of got forgotten in the shuffle, and then people started to find it later on in the summer when they were bored out of their minds, locked in their houses and stuff. But um, So that was kind of fun. I, I mean, that was a, I had a lot of fun writing that one I'll because bet. it was just such a goofy idea i mean i pitched it kind of half jokingly i'd love to do a book where kirk fights and we can teach him how to everybody how to fight like kirk and the guy went write that up (laughs) make it so make it happen yeah you know that's 
And suddenly and Dave, right, yeah. some da- suddenly Dave has added it to his reading list. Yep. I mean, it's a, it's meant as a gift book, so it's and it's definitely for humor. Um, I the, the the beauty of it is I write the text completely straight, like I'm the straight man, the two man routine, right. and it's the art that sells it because you know first there's there's color illustrations that you know have a, like a scene from Star Trek where he's fighting the Gorn or something, and then the pages inside are like diagrams, so black and white drawings of step one, step two, like a like a hand to hand combat manual or a karate okay. manual. And so uh, and I'm it's have all. To get this. Yeah. Yeah. So Miles, uh, Miles, it sounds like you have some new moves to learn in karate. I, I, I believe I must have this book yeah. and uh, yeah. add to my arsenal. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, di- we, we like we, we diagram where Kirk uses the wall. He you know kicks himself off the wall and runs into the other guy, and then uh, you know where he beats the Gorn and all. That. I mean, it's just yeah, step by step. And then of course, at the end of every move on the diagrams, Kirk's shirt is torn, no matter what is involved in the move. <laughs> So, I mean, it was, I had a lot, I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, and once they found an artist that could really lean into it and have fun with it, that's when it really started to get crazy. Okay. Just, I'm going to, I'm not going to tell a single joke. I'm not going to be snarky at all in the text. I'm going to play it completely serious. Like it's an actual honest to God manual you get if you were training at the Academy and let the art be the joke, let the art convey the humor. And it worked like a champ. It worked. I loved it. I can't, I look, I want to, I want to do 10 more just like it. That's terrific. That is, is there a story terrific. with uh, him and his battle with uh, with with Krug in the book? Yeah, it's in there somewhere. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's been it's been a hundred years, but I think so. Okay. Um, so the, the the next the next book that you're going to write is the art of negotiation to negotiate like Picard. Yeah, where it's basically page one surrender. <laughs> 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 <So>. <laughs> And but I and I I didn't get a chance to do it because again the pandemic. Um, but I had gonna I was gonna write a piece for the publisher's website because they have a blog and they usually have the authors contribute something on the release day, you know, to, to, to time out with the date the book of the release. And I was gonna have an extra move that was not in the book. And basically, it's just Kirk talking a computer to death. I was <laughs> I was gonna have a diagram sequence where he's just like talking to the computer, and the last diagram is the computer blowing up. And I I think I called it. Firewall of Fury or something like that. Oh, well, Kirk's so. verbal kung fu is just is just as impressive yeah. as his physical kung fu. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to do that. So maybe the next edition, maybe the maybe the second edition of the book will add that in. That's awesome. That is fun. <laughs> that is fun. Well, uh, I guess we should uh, maybe talk about discovery tonight. Since that's why we're here. Oh sure, if you want uh, to, Miles. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you uh, lead us into this? We're uh, in particular for those of you that have been following the pilots, and then I'm going to give hand it over to Miles to kind of introduce us. Um, we've been doing pilots of various shows, and then gotten this kick where we began to do all these Star Trek pilots. And so we're now up to Discovery, and next one will be what Picard, and then uh, Lower Deck. Yep. Um, yep. And who knows what will be out by that. But the uh, Dayton knows, but he's not telling. Um, <laughs> but the, but the, uh, but so Discovery, we've been going through the pilots and we've been looking at pilots saying, number one, how does a pilot hold up? Which will be easy with Discovery. It's fairly current. Um, but also how the pilot sets up the rest of the show. We're looking at what it establishes as far as the longevity and how it played into the greater show. And so these are kind of the ways we look up what we liked about the pilot, what we uh, didn't like, and so on. So, Miles, why don't you go ahead and take it away? 
All right. So just a very brief introduction. Uh, while patrolling Federation space, the USS Shenzhou encounters an object of unknown origin, putting First Officer Michael Burnham to a greatest test yet. So the first we're looking at the first two pilots, uh, the Vulcan Hello. Well, we're going to have to discuss we'll, this. The conversation will be, are, are these really pilots or, or like a prelude? But um, because we don't see the discovery till the, the, the third episode, what we see is the Shinzao in uh, a Vulcan Hello and uh, Battle of the Binary Stars. Uh, Burnham's uh, post before she gets posted on Discovery. All right. Very good. So uh, where do you, what do you guys want to start? I just remember the buzz when we first heard that we were going to get Star Trek to come back to a small screen. That was kind of huge. And this was also, I guess, CBS's, um, their first foray into um, their, having a streaming channel. And I guess, I guess uh, Discovery would be like the first. They were kind of banking. They were banking that Discovery Actually, would go ahead. I was just actually, it's their second, it was their second original program uh, that they created for that platform. The first one was a sequel to a show they had. Uh, it was a show on CBS called The Good Wife that was on for several years. And okay. had, um, I always mangled her name. Juliana Margulies was star, the star. Okay. And she, it was, a, I think she was, a, she had divorced her husband and become a lawyer. And so it was a, it was a lawyer show and it ran for several seasons. and was very popular. And so they did a sequel to that show not with Margulies, but with several of the other characters that got brought back. So like Christine Baranski played a role on the original show and she's the star of the sequel. And that was their original, that was their first shot at a piece of original programming for CBS All Access. And it proved to be very successful. And But Star Trek was already in the planning stages at that point. I don't know if it was always envisioned to be a streamer or if they decided to take their chance with a streaming after the success of the good fight. I think it's a little bit of both because Star Trek, it's not the first time that they've used Star Trek to try to launch a different type of TV. You know, if you think about it, they, they originally planned that in the seventies when Paramount wanted a TV network. And then they scrapped that idea for the first movie. And then they did it with UPN and Voyager in the nineties. And, you know, so it makes, this is the net, this is where people are going to watch TV now is streaming. So it makes perfect sense that Star Trek stick a claim out there on that platform in that space. Yeah, I thought um, for some for some reason I thought Star Trek was kind of the the catalyst. They were kind of banking on Discovery to help really launch CBS All Access. I think it's definitely. I think once they made the decision that it was going to be on the platform, then they went all in in terms of you know putting a lot of faith in its ability to drive eyeballs to the service. Absolutely, um, and seems to work because you know they keep trying. They keep announcing new Star Trek shows. It's been five minutes. Have they announced another one yet? When I wasn't looking. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, I mean, I you you say that, but I mean, I, I we were joking, but it's like I have to expect another announcement to come. I, I don't have any specific knowledge of it, but you just never know with these guys. They're sneaky that way. Yeah. Well, we we know we're going to get Strange New Worlds probably sometime next year, maybe 2022, and then there's the Section 31 show that's been talked about, um, and Progeny. I, I, that, that's going to be on Nickelodeon. It's going to be like a kids Star Trek show. It's going to be on Nickelodeon, but I can't imagine it's not going to wait very long to get ported over to the service. Um, that would make but sense. But I mean, 
those are you know those are the kind of stuff that you know about. But there's you know there I I've not been to their offices, but I can imagine there's this big whiteboard somewhere in the offices of Secret Hideout where they've got all these different ideas on what might be a good Star Trek show. Mm-hmm. And you know who, I, I don't know I don't know how serious the conversations are. I don't know how in depth they are. But I mean I've you know for every one that you know about, there's probably two or three that at least been considered as possibilities. Mm. So it's it's a fun time to be a Star Trek fan because man. <laughs> oh yeah. Stuff going yeah. On. You know, you look at you look at uh I mean this seems to be the way of things that you know this is this is a platform that especially, you know, the geeks who will inherit the earth, um, like this is a platform, this is a I mean CBS has tapped into something that Star Trek fans have been longing for. And and it's pretty uh, I mean, with uh with Picard and with uh with Discovery, you have some pretty solid Star Trek being produced. Disney, of course, doing with the Mandalorian, and then the Mandalorian spurning a bazillion different shows um, yeah. that are coming out, and uh, you know it's um, it's definitely a, a smart move if it's gonna because otherwise, if they only produce Discovery, you know people are going to tune in Discovery, and then they're going to unsubscribe mm-hmm. oh, until no. the next Discovery. Comes. They they their goal their ultimate goal is to be able to put out a new episode of Star Trek every week. You know that's the ultimate. Holy Grail goal is to every whatever every Thursday night there's a new episode of some show that's called Star Trek dropping and they you got a hint of it you got a taste of it last fall and into the winter when we got what 23 straight weeks across two different series and if the pandemic had not derailed production we might have very well kept rolling so you know Discovery season three would have would have um completed and you know the next episode the first episode of another star trek show would have come the following thursday in a perfect world uh we may get you know it might it's it'll probably take them a while to get back into that groove where they're ready to do that but what's heartening is that the writers have not stopped i mean they have been furiously writing in their you know it's all remote i think they all were they're all working at home but i mean the writing has continued apace all year and but what they've got is the luxury of being able to take their time um, it's, you know, they, it's much more deliberate. And if they decided that they want to do something or try something, experiment with something, there's no pressure to meet a, a delivery date for error because things are being ramped up very slowly due to the, you know, pandemic having yes. a, such an effect on production. So they've got the time to kind of just let it percolate and figure it out. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's been fun. It's been, uh, it's been interesting to watch. Well, even Discovery was delayed. I mean, I, if I remember, mm-hmm. we were supposed to get it in 2017, but yeah. uh, I guess with the shakeup with uh, Brian Fuller. Well, it ended up coming out in 2017. It was supposed okay. to come out in 2016, but it got pushed to 2017. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, well, I mean, it's been forever now. Yeah, because my book came out in 2018, the book and the show had already been on. So yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> what year is this? Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I don't even know. Am I wearing pants? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I haven't worn pants since March. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I remember um, it had, I remember it had got delayed for, for mm-hmm. a little bit uh, for production reasons, whatever, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. If they realize, Hey, if we're not, if, if we can take a break or if we have to delay for whatever reason to fix it and get it right, then they can do it. And then, I mean, I thought, you know, season one was pretty solid. I mean, I, I'm not sure what, I guess the production issues was mainly because they lost, 
you know, that Brian Fuller parted ways with them. And then, um, they had to get back, get the train back on the tracks. Yeah. I can't speak to any of that. Cause that's, I have no, I have no insider knowledge. And even yeah. if I did, I wouldn't be able to share it. But, right. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There were, yeah. I mean, there's different versions of that story depending on who you ask. And I, I, I don't know. <laughs> At that point I was in the cone of silence and I was trying to write my book. So I was just looking up and getting air once in a while and then going back to work. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. At least they let you breathe once in a while. Yeah. I live once in a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I went to uh, mission New York in 2016 and I, I was going to go there. They were going to make a big announcement there. They, they were interviewing, um, uh, Kirsten Beyer and, um, uh, Nicholas Meyer. Uh-huh. And they had the, both of them on the stage. Uh, the guy that was the, that was the podcast uh, host for the start, the official Star Trek podcast, was interviewing him, and he could get no, pretty much nothing out of him. I mean, this was September <laughs> 2016, and you know, just like wow, I know as much about this show now as when I came in here. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, so that would have been the time that everything is being shook up. It makes 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 sense. Um, I'd like to move into the show proper here, though, yeah. as you know, we, oh, yeah, we, 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 t- we could talk about the, uh, the, the, you know, what happened before the show came out, but the, the show launched. I mean, this was a great day for Star Trek. We hadn't had Star Trek on since 2005. That's the last we had had any sort of uh, syndicated Star Trek other than the movies, which Dave absolutely loves. And, um, but, it, <laughs> and then, um, but the, here we have Star Trek back on and we get this, you know, they do like Star Trek does. They kind of shake up things as far as the way the story is being told. The focus is not this time so much on the captain, which is seems to be kind of the uh, central focus of many shows. We have Michael Burnham, of course, being the uh, kind of the science specialist. It's kind of focused on, and we're kind of following through this the, this story. So when this, when you guys, let's 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 kind of walk through this. Star Trek premiere drops. Uh, what was it? Uh, it was September. I forget. It doesn't. Um, but it, it drops in September, right? You guys watch it. What's your when you first saw it? What was your impression coming out the first couple of episodes? Because it's hard to. I know that one of the debates is: Are the first two episodes pilots? Or are they kind of like set up for the show? Because we don't see Discovery episodes. But what was it like being Star Trek fans and watching this unfold first couple? Of Dave, let's start with you. You haven't heard. My first thought was, what the hell are these things? They call them Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, visually, visually, it was amazing. And I, I know I, I, talked about this in previous shows i know it was difficult for me being the contentious trek fan that i am to get over the the visuals in comparison to where they could have been should what i what i thought they should have been more like in in as far as the, in the timeline goes and I, and I get we've had this discussion i'm not going to run down this one again with uh you know 1970s budgets to now and you know and the abilities they could do i i I know i get it um but visually it was great i i it it was interesting finding a a story that did not that was not focused on 
you know, your captain being the center of the world and, and the ship not even really being a character like the Enterprise wound up being, you know, r- right off the bat. Since, again, we haven't seen Discovery until episode three anyway, but it was enjoyable. And I think a lot of it really had to do with, again, I haven't had Star Trek on TV for a decade or more. And it was a nice, refreshing thing to see. And rewatching it again, yeah, I enjoyed it more the second and third time than I did did the first. Very good. Miles, how about you? What was it like for you uh, seeing uh, Star Trek back in the air, but also then walking through the first couple of episodes of Discovery when it first came out? Uh, like a lot of Star Trek fans, I was excited just that Star Trek was back on a small screen again and it would be on a small screen for a while and uh i was very interested in this whole pageantry that the klingons were involved in and we could talk about their more updated look if you want and they're like that but i I felt like okay the klingons are scary again the klingons were, were you know they were they were the main one of the main baddies in original series and and in the movies i just but i felt that in some of the subsequent series they, they the klingons were not as scary as they used to be because because they were allies of the federation and this this they made you know they, they made the klingons look more like monsters because in, in a sense they were monsters um as far as um their lust for battle and um maintaining what it was to be Klingon. So th- th- this whole pageantry, we, this whole show, we see this, this um, ceremony we see in the beginning, I thought was very interesting. And it was also very cinematic. I mean, it was just the, 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 vi- the visuals for, for these first two episodes and moving forward were incredible. I mean, this is, uh, you, you know, they're pouring a lot of money into, making this look as great as it possibly could. Um, there, there's some really great space walks through, throughout this, uh, that, that, that's surpasses anything we've seen in, in some of the movies, maybe, maybe in the Kelvin timeline movies about the same, but, but in the movies before, I mean, this, this is just incredible what they, what they were able to do here. Um, you know, I, I also had to realize, uh, you know, don't get used to the shins out. You're not going to see it much longer, <laughs> but, um, um, and, and I get, get used to the whole idea of a visual reboot. I mean, they said this is going to be 10 years before original series, but you know, what you're used to original series, as far as the look, well, we're going to, it's going to be up. It, the look is going to be updated because we, we continue to update. And so I had to kind of sh- mentally shift gears a little bit, you know, was I going to accept except this is going to look more modern and more futuristic than the original series or not. And I, and I said, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go, go on this ride. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, um, and they do try, I, they, they do try to tie that in a little bit, especially toward the end of the uh, second. So, um, I, I, and in rewatching again, I thought, you know, I, I was used to mirror universions out. So to see prime universions out being more of this, uh, nurturing captain who, you know, trying to, um, 
get you know get the best out of her officers and crew, but doing it in more of a maternal way as opposed to Emperor Giorgio. It was a fun juxtaposition watching that. Um, just just no, knowing who the Mirror Universe Shinzhou was like. Um, so uh, the battle scenes I thought were incredible that, that we'll get in, in Battle of Binary Stars. They, 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 they did something, I guess, a little controversial. They made they made Burnham uh, Spock's adoptive sister that we just, you know, we didn't know before. So, but I understand why they did. They kind of wanted to ground the show and the characters into who we know. Um, I don't know if that was necessary or not, but that's a choice they made. And it was a way to bring Sarek into the show. And I think I, I liked uh, the actor's name is eluding me at the moment, but um, I, I, I enjoyed his portrayal of Sarek. Dayton, how about you? Uh, you know, watching that you obviously saw this way before we did. Uh, but what uh, when you when you sat down and began to watch this, what was it like for you? I mean, you've been involved with Trek much more deeply than any of us have been involved in Trek. So, you, I mean, you coming to that? Tell us a little bit about that experience. I hated it. Kidding, yeah. kidding, 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 kidding. <laughs> um, no, um, I, I was going to say, I just spent a half an hour telling you that I was completely inside and sucked in and spoiled and jaded and, and, and there were no surprises left for me by the time you all got to watch it. So, um, what, what I will do is I will, I will go back to when my wife watched it for the first time, which was the night it premiered. Um, so that's when I really watched a completed episode for the first time. Um, I hadn't really, to be honest, I didn't really see a lot of uh visuals or video of the shows before it premiered um i wasn't read into a point where i needed to see that kind of stuff but i did get the occasional clip or something just so i you know the guy could tease me with it <laughs> um but so to be honest but even though i knew how the story was going to go watching it on the night it premiered was the first time i got to see it in its completed form as intended to you know by to be watched and I really, you know, like understanding the 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 uh, notes that people have brought so far. I, I enjoyed it because I just love the fact that it's you know it's it was cinematic, it was big budget, it was bold, um, it basically brought Star Trek to the 21st century. And um, I I like a lot of people. I understand you know what the questions that arise about tying Burnham into Spock's. Uh, character but you know and it's like well how come we never knew about Burnham I'm like dude Captain Kirk didn't even know who his Spock's dad was until da- Spock's dad was standing next to him on the ship in the episode <laughs> and introduced him so it's like okay Spock's a private guy apparently very private so, yeah apparently so um, <laughs> that's an awkward meeting so yeah. but as far as that I mean I what it was fun to watch was my wife's reaction because she's a Star Trek fan but not like a hardcore Star Trek fan. She watches it. We'll go to the movies. She would, we would watch the shows when they were on with next gen DS nine voyage and all that, but she's not a hardcore fan. She's not going to go cosplay. She's not going to conventions except to hang out with me. She's not going to buy merchandise. She's not going to, you know, buy toys or whatever, but she enjoyed it. She thought it was a, well, you know, she liked Burnham's character. She liked Giorgio. Um, She loved the look of it. And she would look at me and ask me if I, you know, of course I get that question every week. Did you know that was going to happen? Um, because I had made a, I had made a conscious decision not to talk to her about what I was reading and what I was seeing as the show was developed. I'm like, I don't want to spoil it for anybody else. 
I didn't want to spoil it for Kevin, my buddy Kevin, my writing partner Kevin. He asked me, and I'm like, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm going to let you watch it like a normal human. And, <laughs> right. You know, and don't you know? And and so my wife, I'm like, I'm going to let you watch like a normal person without being spoiled with it about it first. And so she liked that idea. But every week she would look at me and go, "Did you know that was going to happen?" And I'd say, "Yeah." And she'd go, "Why didn't you tell me?" Because you told me not to. <laughs> you know, we, and, so we, and we'd have a, we'd have a repeat of that pretty much every week. So. <laughs> Um, but I enjoyed it. I liked the way it looked. I mean, it's yes, it's different. It's definitely a radical departure from what we think of as Star Trek at that point. But um, I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. No, I, I would, I would, I would agree with that. I guess I was, I, you know, as I watched it, one of the things I thought about, and I've been thinking about as I've watched. So my story of how I encountered is I watched the first season up till about episode eight or nine, and then I kind of lost interest. And I don't know what about it that time I did. And I discovered in my rewatch of it about that same time. I don't know if the slow, if the show slowed down for me or not, but I felt I pushed through because I wanted to, because Dave and Miles were urging me to push through because what I did Dayton is I watched up to like episode eight, didn't watch any more discovery until season three. And then I said, Oh, I'm going to watch season three. So I watched season three, loved it, and, and they were like, well, you, you know, you could have more context if you watched the prior seasons. I'm like, okay, I'll watch the prior season, you know, twist my arm, watch Star Trek. Um, and, so, and, so I, and so I did, and it did give it more context, but as I've been rewatching it, one of the things that stuck out to me, or I was thinking, like, there's some, there's some things that make any Star Trek show traditionally Star Trek. Um, you know, you look for, especially in season two, you're looking at anyone wearing a red shirt, right? You know, you're looking at, you're looking at like the way they pan across the crew of the Enterprise, those, those crew shots that they do on the bridge that are traditionally Star Trek. Um, are there things in your, in, in any, and anyone can speak here, are there things that make this feel like, oh yeah, we're definitely watching Star Trek? Well, they went back to um, the original look of a lot of the hand props. Well, other, other they, they they modified it so I guess it would look for, for today. But you know, we we saw you know the traditional communicator, we saw the traditional phaser and the uh, tricorder. Um, so and, and, and so we had that. Also, the the familiar bridge noises. I mean, I I, I, I that oh, yeah. that's kind of that brought me back to original series hearing some of that. And going to engineering and not seeing like the warp core. Like you're very TOS. They didn't, I mean, it was, you never had just that glowing thing in the middle of the room. It kind of, yeah, again, dated back a little bit. Right. Well, but remember, remember the area of engineering that you saw a lot in season one wasn't typical, wasn't actually main engineering. It was an offshoot of engineering because that's where the spore drive. Spore drive, was. you're correct. Right, right. So you didn't really, you didn't really get a traditional, you didn't really get much of a look at a traditional engineering section like you would on one of the other shows. In fact, I don't know that they ever identified a chief engineer. <laughs> no, they didn't. Oh. Um, and so, I mean, it's and it's things like that that kind of shake up the template. It's like, all right. 
we don't the show is not as you've said focused on the captain is focused on the first officer who gets broken down in these first two episodes and then we spend actually if we've watched over the course of three seasons her character and redemption arc you know that get that link back all the way to this moment in at these two episodes where she basically destroys her career right um, and then she got better yeah right. yeah but i mean that's that's i mean i know a lot of folks took exception to the temp, i guess the formula being broken or not maybe not broken but just shaken up a little bit um i don't know i i i understand and respect people who might have gotten a little shell-shocked by that but i think it's had the time now to show the full over the full course of that arc you know what they had intended the original idea behind burnham's arc has finally paid off you know yeah yeah, no, I, 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 and I would, I would agree with that, and, uh, and I think it's, I mean, this is one of the the best stories of, you know, Burnham does something, and even though it's inadvertent, she's paying for, it. you know, she's she's carrying the weight of that for the upcoming seasons, and it's it's a slow arc of her being redeemed, and and I'm not convinced she's totally whole from that, but she's definitely better than where she was. And it also goes toward, you know, how TV is written today. I mean, it's it's written to be binged. Uh, you know, they, they, I mean, it's we we we've, we've taken the best parts of serialized storytelling, but also, you know, they release it once a week, so it can be kind of maddening. <laughs> I, I understand that, but I mean, you know, in an era when an era when they drop an entire season of a show on Netflix, you know, or Amazon Prime, and um, but you know, so they're still writing it. It's interesting. It's an interesting hybrid. They're writing it as a season-long story, but yet the individual installments still kind of play with that same bob and weave of a of a regular TV show that you would see aired on broadcast. You know, like the commercial breaks feel like they come around the same area, or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yet, if you watch the entire season, you know, in, in rapid succession, which I did, you know, I, I watched it a second time when the when the home video when the release came out the dvd or the blu-rays came out i watched it again you know and this time i watched it all the way through um and and so it does i think it plays better when you watch it several episodes in one sitting not necessarily the whole season but you know three or four in a go uh i think maybe the the bits and pieces that you're supposed to take with you from one episode to the next resonate a little better um it's kind of like watching 24 you know, oh, yeah. when, you know, every, every episode was a cliffhanger for a year or for a season. But yet when you watch four or five episodes in rapid succession, you're like, okay, it all makes sense. Now I get why, you know, he did that in episode one. Um, I think there's a lot of that going on with modern Star Trek, which is just a reflection of modern TV right. for, for a lot of TV shows. I mean, not obviously not every show is doing that, but there's definitely a lot more of it now than there was the last time Star Trek was on TV. Yeah. I, I do like I do like the idea that it's it's serialized and it's not dropping all at once. Uh, even though that is madness. Uh, you know the Mandal- <laughs> the Mandalorian does the same thing, and you're like, oh, I want, oh yeah, you know, and, and you're you're waiting, you're waiting for it, right? Um, but I do, I do, I do really like. Um, there's something to be said. It allows. It reminds me of the day. Um, you know, when I was watching, I'm watching the X Files with my son, and it made me think how. I just remember, you know, an episode would drop, and the next week was nothing but us visiting the the the, the, for, the forums and theorizing what's going to happen next or what this means. And did you see this? 
And it's kind of that way with Star Trek. Did you see this reference? This harkens back to this, you know? And uh, so you see that here in Discovery. And to me, this is part of what makes the community fun. And when you drop it all at once, you lose that. You lose the conversation because by the end, you get to the end of the the series. It's like, oh, well, that's done. That's answered for you already. There's no discussion. Well, I mean, yeah. To use a recent example, you know, last week or, well, it's been a couple of weeks now, but you know, the, if you watch it, uh, Cobra Kai dropped a late, their latest, ep- their latest season. Right. And yep. okay. We all talked, we all talked about it that first weekend. Pretty much. And yeah. That, and, yeah. And that's pretty much it. We've moved on. Now we're waiting for the, I'm right. You know, everybody's crying and whining. Where's the next season of Cobra Kai? Well, you got a year to wait. You probably should have paced yourself. <laughs> right. There's, there, there, there's trade-offs, you know, there's, right. and, and not every, and, and not to say that, Serialized is better than episodic, and episodic is better than serialized. There's room for both kinds of of programming, not just on TV, but also within Star Trek, which ha- it has already proven now because Lower Decks is a more episodic show. Granted, it's a different kind of Star Trek than anybody ever thought ever would happen. Um, <laughs> but you know, Strange New Worlds is being touted as a return to more episodic Star Trek in the vein of original series and Next Generation and Voyager. Um, so you know, I think it's going to kind of walk a line in the middle there because you know, there's gonna, it's kind of like to me, it's more like the West Wing, where each show has an A plot. That is largely standalone, but there are character and little bitty B plot things that move through the season that either are wrapped up at different points in the season or culminate at the end of the season. I think it's going to be somewhere between episodic and that West Wing deal where you're going to see certain character arcs pay off later in the show. But the A plot will always be largely standalone. That's how they described it in their interviews. So I'm like, okay, well, let's see what happens. Yeah, let's see what goes. And, and it's good too because it, it in today's right. world where everything really is fast paced and you can binge everything else, having a show released like this that forces you to slow down mm-hmm. and actually enjoy that 45, 50 minutes. <laughs> enjoy you, Star Trek? No, yeah. we're supposed to pick it apart yeah. at the microscopic well, level. Well, that's, well, that too. That's what we do here. <laughs> card, man. Returning your Trekkie card. That's yeah. it. That is true. But I think I, I, I think as I've said, I've said before, I think Star Trek is a framework that is very robust and affords opportunities for a, a, a variety of storytelling formats and approaches. And I think we're seeing that now. It's, I mean, Picard and Discovery and Lower Decks are three very different flavors of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we can all agree on that. I mean, you know, yeah. one is, you know, one is, one is iced tea, one is bourbon, and one is whatever the fuck Lower Decks is smoking. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, I, and I mean that, pardon me, I just realized I said that. I hope that this wasn't a, there's your adult content rating. Uh, Bleep please. me out. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, and I mean that in a respectful way. It's fun to see these different approaches and, 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 and different, different, uh, Different tech, you know, different storytelling ideas and frameworks being applied to Star Trek. I've always agreed that there's no one way, there's no one kind of Star Trek story. There's no one type of Star Trek story. So it took them long enough to see it my way, but here we are. (laughs) I can't wait for more of that Jaeger bomb they call uh, Lower Decks. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I should have said, Jaeger bomb, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You know, I thought I thought watching it again, and uh, and as I've been rewatching it, this show has to be extremely fun as an actor uh, or an actress. You know, because 
you have you have your character presented one way and then you have the mirror universe character which is mm-hmm. which is different and and you get to uh, it's not you aren't acting the same character on one of my wife who has done her own share of acting over the years um has you know this is what you know the variety of character that you can play in a show like this is so fun you know and, and the complexity of it and um i didn't think that as i'm watching i'm like oh they get to do that you know it's you know here's here's a prime universe giorgio and mirror universe giorgio and then you you know you have you have you know yeah go ahead no i was just i gonna... think i i would love to i have i have never i'd love to talk to michelle yo about playing the different the two different giorgios um, because it's, it seems to me watching her play the mirror version is she's having way too much fun. <laughs> um, I mean, cause she normally doesn't play that kind of character. I mean, if you, if you look at her, if you look at her resume, she generally doesn't play the bad guy, so yeah. to speak, you know, the, 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 villain. I mean, she usually is a, is a character we, I mean, I, I remember her from, you know, James Bond movies back in the nineties oh, yeah. Yep, when she played up and, and, and some other stuff, she did crouching tiger, hidden dragon and a couple other things, but she was always a hero in those right. stories or a good person, you know, she was, a, she was one of the good guys. Right. Uh, whereas now, I mean, she gets to chew the scenery and be evil. And I, I think if you asked an actor, they would, they would like, I like playing the bad guy because I don't have to be play. You know, I don't have to play by the rules. I don't have to be a decent sword. I can no. just be evil. I'm like, all right, cool. There you go. Whatever. I thought about that. I think with, she's probably had a lot of fun. I thought about that with the, with the actor that plays like Killy and Tilly, right. You know, yeah. those characters <laughs> are so different, so different. Yeah. Right. Oh well, even and I know we don't um, see her in this episode. Oops, sorry, sorry, Miles. Oh, sorry. Just, just um, Sonequa Martin Green when she got to play her, the Mirror Universe version of uh, Burnham. I mean, she was over the top, crazy. But I think she, but but she, but she was great at it. I mean, I know we're jumping three, you know, three seasons ahead, yeah. but you know, if we're talking Mirror Universe, just the, you know, playing the opposite of who who she was for three years and seeing that. Uh, yeah, she had to have a lot, of, a lot of fun with that one. I was going to say, I know we're stepping out of the box with respect to what episode we're talking about because we don't see Tilly until episode three. Um, mm. But Mary Wiseman, I swear, when I read, when I read the script for episode three and I got to the Tilly character, she annoyed the hell out of me. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I thought, I thought I'm going to hate this character. I'm going to, it's going to, it's like, it's like all the worst Wesley Crusher jokes come to life (laughs) and you know which which this this is now an object lesson for those of you paying attention on how dialogue as written on a page and how it's delivered on screen by a capable actor makes all the difference in the world because mary wiseman completely sold me on tilly i love her as tilly she became my favorite character right off the bat um, as soon as I, I mean, yes, she's definitely not your typical cadet and she can be, a, and, and I imagine some people might think she's annoying, but, uh, she completely redeemed what I had read on the page. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm raising my hand. I was wrong. I was so wrong. I've never, I'm very rarely happy to have been this wrong, you know? Yeah. So. No, I, I'm with you in that. And I, and I agree. The first time I saw her, I was like, okay, this character could annoy me, but she quickly redeems herself just in the way she interacts. And. She does kind of bring the crew together, yeah. and so I just, I just, I, I love it. Yeah, and it's been fun to watch her character, you know, advance over the course of the three seasons. So I have a question anyway. because you guys know Star Trek way better than I do. Um, so the Kelpians, right? Um, 
I love the Kelpian we have on the on, on, on the show. Do we encounter the Kelpians either in the in probably the original series or Enterprise or the only two series I haven't watched in full? Um, are is this a new race just for Discovery or were they around in other series? No, or this is we- this is a, this is a new race just created for the show. Okay, good. Yeah, because I, I you know I I love this idea that they are like. They're constantly being. They're used to being, you know, the the yeah. uh, the, uh, the prey, you know. And, oh well, he's in this episode. So we can talk about him. Yeah, um, we can yeah. talk. We get. Yeah. I mean, Saru is another favorite character, and uh, you know, all of that is on Doug Jones. Oh yeah, uh, the actor. And if you've never met him, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to meet him at a show out that way yet. But Not yet. Um, if you get a chance, take it because he is quite literally one of the nicest human beings walking the planet. Wow. <laughs> he really, he is a complete sweetheart in all the nice ways that that can be said. Um, he really is. He's just, he's a, he's a, he's great with the fans. He, he, you know, he, he loves the fan experience and he's just a very warm, affectionate human being. And he's very gifted as an actor. And I did not even realize just how far back his acting resume goes. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. You know, he was Mac tonight, the guy, the, the McDonald's character. Yes, wow. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> I, I didn't what? know that. And he was yeah, in. He, he, he was in Batman Returns. Yeah, he was. In, Who was he in Batman around. Returns? He was the Thin Clown. Yep, the Thin Clown in Batman Returns. Okay, and that he was kid. in um, uh, Hellboy. Uh, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The the. the I, I, for lack of a better word, the 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 fish humanoid character—I forget the character's name—but the first first movie they used um, the actor pl- who, who played Niles do the voice, but then the second movie they had him do the voice for it. Gotcha. Well, gotcha. He's also he's also the creature in um, uh, the Shape of Water. Oh yeah, the more recent movie. So he's yeah he's he's been around and he's done a lot of stuff. But you wouldn't know it because he seems like every role he takes on, he's under some sort of prosthetic. Right. He's a, um, he plays alien so creatures he, a lot. Well, yeah. So it's it's really. I mean, looking at his resume, it's insane how much stuff he's done. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of it's sci-fi wonder, because of it. Like he's in Men in Black Two, the the uh, Time Machine. Yeah. I, I went looking over his res. I went looking at his IMDb page at one point, and I was looking at the stuff that really stood out. As I can't believe he was in that. I mean, he was in. Like the young, remember Young Indiana Jones? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, show he was. He, I think he was in one of those. He was in in Living Color. You know the, the <laughs> sitcom, the, the the sketch comedy show from the Wayans Brothers. He was in that. <laughs> what? How did? First of all, how does a how does a seven point nine foot white guy hide on that show to the point where I can't remember seeing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. But apparently he was in that. I'm like, I gotta now. I gotta go back and try to find that show. Yeah. So. But it was funny. I mean, his his resume is so long and so varied. It's just insane. And he was in Buffy. He was. I think it's easier just to say what he wasn't in. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it, it might be. It might be. He's just one of those actors that's just everywhere. So, and I like in it, it, his his character, Saru and, and and Burnham don't get along. There is this, um, especially earlier on. Yeah. They're like siblings, you know. They don't get along. They're like brother sister who hate each other. <laughs> it right. really is. There, there's a grudging respect, but like you said, they they still hate each other. So, I mean, what what he has to say, rather in the third episode, uh, is just 
you know, it, it's the one, it, it goes from one extreme to the other. At one extreme, he says she's dangerous, and the extreme, she's the smartest person he knows. It's two, there's two ideas kind of weighing each other kind of equal. I wonder if when he gets off set and he's out in public, he has to catch himself from walking with his arms <laughs> swaying <laughs> behind his back like that. Yeah. I mean, that's talented to be able to just do that physically, repetitively. I don't know. I just I, just I tried do- doing it at work the one day. It didn't work well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you look like – yeah, I was going to say when we tried, it looks like we're sort of like we want to be fashion models. We're sashaying down the runway or something. It just doesn't, well, we, it doesn't have the same effect. No. That my six-foot, 280-pound body trying to do that down <laughs> the hall looks really, really odd. <laughs> it's like that – or trying to do that, that Kirk swagger down the hallway. It's like just – Oh, like, yeah. If you're, William, if you're not William Shatner, you can't sell it. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Uh, but you know, I, I I thought watching him like he has so many prosthetics, or I'm sure they made it in a way that it's easy to get that on and off. But you know, of all the characters on the show, I mean, he has probably the most time intense, and he's probably used to it because of everything that he's played over the years. But talk about I want to say that early on, when they were still when they were still coming up with concepts for his what his what he was going to look like. I think at one really early stage, they had like multiple sets of eyes. Like he was going to have eight or 10 eyes on his face. And I think they wisely went away from that. Not just because I'm sure it would have been hellaciously expensive to realize that realistically with CGI or, you know, whatever. But I think, you know, an actor like that, if you take away too much of their ability to emote through the makeup, then you lose something in the character, you know, and that's something that Star Trek's always kind of done. It's like, they don't, yeah, they might layer on a prosthetic and all that stuff, but there's still enough of the actor there visible that they can use their facial expressions and their eyes to sell that part. You know, you can see the humanity for lack of a better term in their character, no matter how alien they are. So we, so there was something for us to relate to. And I, I think that's, that was a wise choice particularly with somebody like Doug Jones, who can totally sell it. I thought it was great when we we learn about his species and just says one of the, one of the things his species can do is sense, sense death. And he says, I sense it right now. And I just like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. No, I, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I felt like I, I, I felt it. I mean, he, he sold me that, you know, so, something bad's going to happen. And uh, he, 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 he does it well. I thought early on that was going to be something that they leaned into too much. It was going to become a crutch. Like, you know, they, everybody would look at Saru and if he was shaken, they knew they were in danger. Right. You know, kind of like, like Troy, I feel something or he's hiding something. Well, like no kidding. You know, like, I mean, I guess it could be, it was, it, it could almost have been become its own trope if they weren't careful. Right. Yeah. That's but, true. You know, and, and then they figured out a way to, to work that into his character and, and then how he deals with that part of his you know, his physiology is, is a plot point in the show. Right. So it ends up, it ends up, it ends up working out very well. They avoided, they avoided falling into what, what I thought could have been a potential booby trap. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the, the look of the show, the explosions and everything else to pull us in and the story. Um, as far as the first two, uh, we talked about the first two episodes of many, I know that Miles, we talked about maybe doing this as a kind of looking at the first three episodes because you really don't see Discovery um, until episode three. 
we often talk about a pie like this and how it sets up well in this case the rest of the season or even the rest of the show um what's your thoughts on the on, on, on how well this pilot set up the subsequent season and even the sub maybe the subsequent seasons plural um dayton we'll go to you first oh well i mean i think it was necessary to show her hitting rock bottom um as in terms of her her character's outlook on what was going to happen i mean her, her starfleet career is over she's a prisoner she's you know she was once a well-respected officer now she's the bottom of the barrel and nobody wants her and they don't trust her um so she's starting out you know like i said at rock bottom and then the rest of the season is about her i don't, I don't even want to say completing a redemption arc it's more like just getting her redemption arc upbeat because it, you know if, if you look at it based on how she ends at the beginning of, or the end of the first season, there's still work to be done there. You know, she's not her, her, her arc is not over at the end of season one. Right. Um, she, she gets over some of those hurdles, but uh, then it becomes more about, you know, what's the next chapter. So I, I think in that regard, it does well. I mean, th- there's arguments to be made that they started the, you know, I, I know that fans have said stuff like they started the show in the wrong place. And I'm like, well, it depends on how you look at it. If you're looking at it like a traditional Charge Trek show, I can understand that line of thinking but if you look at it as a purely character driven story from burnham's point of view then they started it where they needed to which is watching her fall and then watching her rise again you know i I was thinking about that this is by the only star trek shows that i know of that you know you start the focus not only is not on the captain but it's on a criminal someone that's been criminalized who is working her way back up and uh somehow works her way back into a starship and uh and uh it's a very unusual take and uh as you kind of find it allows for this sort of growth in a character that you really don't get the luxury of doing in many of the episodes uh of many of the series because you didn't start this way so there's a lot of growth that can happen because of it. uh dave uh, miles your thoughts on this being a um as far as the way these first three episodes set set up the season or the series, I think it gives a good launching point for Burnham. I mean, most of the stuff in the first two episodes we don't see anymore. We'll we we will see Saru, we will see uh, Detmer, um, Georgia, and we will see. Giorgio come back as, as mirror Giorgio, but um, don't. As far as the rest of these people in this ship, don't get used to them. Um, and and the first episode had some really interesting characters in the bridge, but which we didn't get really get a chance to talk about. But we didn't. Uh, I mean, as far as the, their look, I mean, Lobot from Star Wars even makes an appearance. It seems, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a guy who looked like Lobot, anyways. Um, but but what, what Dayton was saying, they they really they kind of shook things up of what you thought Star Trek was. And, and I, I think it's a good thing. It, it's very easy to become formulaic and traditional. And we see Burnham, you know, like, like Dayton said, hit rock bottom, but not only, you know, she's disgraced, but she's also given up. She, 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 she is not trying to fight for her future or fight for her innocence. Uh, they leave things at interesting place. She may not have been wrong in, in maybe firing on the Klingons first. If that, you know, that, that was the advice that Sarek said, that's how that's, 
that's the way the Vulcans got respect from the Klingons, but she never got a chance to try because, um, you know, Giorgio stopped her, but she still lost her, you know, she ends up, she ends up undermining herself. They want to try to capture uh, Tukovma alive, and she ends up killing him because he killed, uh, you know, her captain. And so it, it, it's not just Burnham that's going to have to try to rescue herself. It's going to take other outside forces to try to rescue her. So it it's an interesting journey through through her, her life. So in that sense, it's when it comes to what about her. Yeah, it's it's it. It's a good launching point as far as that goes. Yeah. Any additional thoughts, Dave? No, nah, you too. No, man, you guys did good. Covered that, hit it real well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, Miles, Dave Dayton, is there anything else we should be talking about as we look at this episode and look at it as it stands that we didn't talk about or that you want to talk about? I don't think so. I think we covered the ground yeah, pretty we well. Did. We did a nice job. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, I do like the music, and I will say there. So I want to say that there are some parts that I really did did like. Uh, I loved, um, and this is not the first couple episodes, but there are many points throughout the series that are just really iconic moments. Like when you first see the Enterprise, and then they change the music up in the show to reflect that. I I loved that, and then they had, <laughs> and then what is it? The next episode, Burnham's reading the you know, the opening lines of the dialogue, you know, you know, these are the voyages type of thing that they have going on. And it's just a, and it's changed, but it's, it's all this harkening back. There's some nostalgia happening in the middle. So it's just beautiful. I think they do a pretty good job of, 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 uh, calling back to other Star Trek shows as needed. I don't think, I don't think there's anything too gratuitous, I can't think of anything offhand that I would consider no. a gratuitous continuity nod, but um, I like. But I think Miles mentioned the the throwback to the phasers and the communicators and stuff. I mean, I have been fortunate enough to hold the actual props for the phasers and the communicators, and man, they are some sweet. <laughs> they, are, they are so sweet. Those props, I wanted I'm to run jealous. Off with them. Yeah, they, they had them in they had them in Vegas, and we helped pack them up after the convention in Vegas that one year, right before the show. It premiered and they i mean i took the phaser and it's not it's not vacuum form plastic cheap painted crap it is a fully hefty you think this thing can do whatever it is it's supposed to do okay. i mean it's it's it, all the stuff moves all the stuff whirs all the stuff locks in together and you know you can drop the magazine which would be a power cell and, i mean it's it is a legitimate that's awesome honest to god fully realized prop and it just looks I'm at, now. Here's I should preface this. I am a diehard original series fan. I will go to the grave with that as my favorite show of Star or my favorite version of Star Trek. But I love those new phasers. <laughs> I, <wanted to> <laughs> off like, I was like, I can totally break his leg and run for it, and I would make it. Uh, so. Uh, but and then when I saw the like later on the show when they finally gave us that hint of what of the Enterprise uh, at the very last episode of the you know, that last scene in the last episode. I was just, for one thing, I love the way it looks on Discovery more than I like the JJ Films version of the Enterprise. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I I think it is a I, I think it is a nice 
honorable update of Matt Jeffrey's design. I think it does a fine job of bringing it to, to the now, but honoring the design aesthetic that he established and which continues to inform Star Trek to this very day. Um, I think it's a great update. I mean, I just, I, I, in my head, I'm thinking if Matt Jeffries had the time and the resources and the technology and the money, I think what you see, that's what, that would be what you'd see close. Something close to that is what he would have come yeah. up with even 50 years ago. If he had the kind of resources that we have to play with today, that he was able to do what he did with what he had is a, just makes it that much more impressive because you're like, not only did that design work 55 years ago, but it still works today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Granted it's updated, but yeah. The, the most beautiful ship in Star Trek right there is Discovery's version of the Enterprise. I love it. Far. I think it's fantastic. It and the bridge? Oh my God. Oh, when they finally oh it's beautiful. The I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm like uh, again, if Matt Jeffries had the, had the resources at to his disposal that this crew has, I think he would have done something very much in line with what we see. Yeah. I mean, I, it's amazing that they were able to do that. I understand why they made the changes they did, and I and I'm okay with the changes they did because it just looks fabulous on a widescreen, high def TV. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's a loving homage to what came before. But yeah, it's an homage. Yeah. But I mean, you know, there's there's no there's no we're not exaggerating when we say that the design aesthetic that they established on the show on the original series, even though it's been changed and updated and reconfigured and enhanced, the core of what he came up with is still there. It's in the, the DNA of what, you know, everybody's still carrying that same Jeffrey's DNA. I don't, I'll argue that I'll fight and die on that hill. Um, it's still there. It's just, it's just been filtered through modern sensibilities and modern technology and modern via visual effects capabilities. But you strip it all down to the, to the chassis. That's still Matt Jeffrey ship. And I do want to ask, go ahead, Dave. Uh, go ahead, Dave. No, well, no, I was going to say in, in, in the, in the, uh, on the same line of, of design like that, I want, and I'd be interested to hear Dayton's thought on this one too. The, and we saw it in season three of Discovery, the open concept interior of Discovery and, and the other ships like that where the turbo shafts go, how it's just like a bottomless pit inside of all that, that does not seem <laughs> physically. <laughs> appropriate to the size and what what is that all about i gotta be honest i haven't seen that part of the season yet um only oh. be, only be and it's final form i haven't seen it yet because my wife is one of these my wife prefers to binge and she wants to watch five or six episodes at a time and i and i gotcha. just haven't had the time to devote to that i'm like you're gonna have to wait till after i'm finished writing the book because <laughs> I don't have five or six hours. To, I don't have five or six hours to watch Star Trek. I have a Star Trek book to write, you know. Right. So gotcha. um, I have heard that I have heard the uh, various takes on that. And I and now, but how, however, I have seen um, the short that has a very similar scene where it seems like yes. it's, there's a lot. But I also read a counter to that where apparently there's a lot more unused space inside a ship the size of Discovery or like the Enterprise D than we might at first um 
realize. I mean, I guess we look at the, we think about the inside of a ship and we think about it must be crammed wall to wall, divided by, you know, sectioned off. All that space must be portioned off down to the last millimeter. And apparently that's not the case. And I once I started thinking about it that way, I'm like, well, OK, I guess. But I don't know. I have to watch it. I haven't I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I've never been on any cross-section cutaway posters or diagrams that I've seen. Right, yeah. but you got to remember all of that stuff. All that stuff is conjecture. You know, we don't know. We don't know. Right, 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 right. So it's in the authentic manual. It's in. No. It's got the paramount stamp. It's real. I don't have a. I don't have a real starship to compare it against. No. So I have to wait. True. True. <laughs> Um, so you were talking about the props you you were holding earlier on. I did want to just ask one more thing, and then I have a I have a, something you were talking about when they harken back. Um, they're pretty positive in that. I have one complaint about it that I'm going to share, but we'll talk about the props first. Since we were talking about that, uh, is there Dayton? Do you know are you are, are these props are replicas of these props available for sale online? I'm sure they are. I don't think there's an official licensed version of them yet. I know that there was a there was a there was a licensing partner who was going to do that, and then for whatever reason, it all fell apart. Um, COVID, or you know, they went their own way. I don't remember why. This is pre-COVID, but I mean, now we're in, now. It's funny because the the props that well, I'm, actually, this is a rare instance where we might get a second shot because even though this discovery has moved to the 32nd century, and all those props are different. All of the old phasers and communicators and all the stuff that we liked from Discovery Seasons 1 and 2 are now going to probably, I can't imagine, they won't be used on Strange New Worlds. <laughs> so, oh, right. Because that show right. is set at the same time frame. So I'm hoping that we'll get a second shot at, you know, okay, here's the here's the show. There, gets, let's get the merch out. Right. I know there are people out there that are desperately wanting to collect a phaser pistol or a communicator or whatever. And I I, I can't honestly say I'm not one of them. Right, <laughs> right, right. I mean, if... if if, if an opportunity came by, I probably would cough up the money and then tell my wife I, you know, I won the lottery or something, and then lie about it. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> maybe, maybe I could donate a kidney without her noticing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, right, right, right. We'll, we'll see. Right. But, so, uh, I, yeah, I guess I'm hoping. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I don't. I'm not involved in that side right. of anything. You're the, you're the one negotiating all the licensing. I'm just kidding. You're not. Yeah, I um, wish. No. Yeah. Hey, uh, the other, the other thing I want to talk about is. We mentioned about things that you like. One of the things that did bother me, and I understand why they did it, is they got so used to seeing Spock with a beard. And <laughs> and then the final episode that you see the Enterprise on, he comes out, shaves his beard, and it, and I feel like it's an attempt at that point to channel Nimoy just a little bit. And, and for me, I'm like, hmm... I don't know that well, he remember, needed to do that. That remember though that when Spike and Spock meet finally, and whatever episode it is in season two, Pike is surprised to see Spock with the beard. He's like, you know, basically, what's with the beard, dude? Looks good, <laughs> you know, that oh, kind yeah. of thing. You know, I'm, and then and then he comes back. I, I don't I don't know that there's any regulation against having beards because uh, Culber has one, Riker had one, Cisco had one. You know, um, it's not like our current, well, even our current Navy, you can have a beard under certain circumstances. But um, I don't know. I, I think at the end, they wanted to evoke the classic Spock look, which right. had not been given to us. It was a, I can't imagine it wasn't a more than a bit of fan service. But th just that whole leading up to seeing the Enterprise Bridge bit was, you know, they held that as long as they could. 
story-wise so that it would be a great payoff i think the same thing with spock that was like the last cherry on top of it all was seeing him in a in his classic in their version of a classic uniform yeah yeah absolutely very good well i think uh i think we got to wrap up the show we've been uh talking for a little bit over an hour here um but before we go dayton i did want to give you a chance to uh we talked about some of the books that you're working on we didn't get details of course and some of the things that you've done if um if listeners of the show say you know what this dayton guy is pretty good he seems to know what he's talking about i want to read some of his stuff um where's a place i can send them to find uh everything out about you stalk you on the internet but also that they can maybe find out places they can support you through buying some of your star trek books all right so you can come to daytonward.com and that's where i have links to my blog and my social media and star trek.com because i've written for them and links to where you can buy my books oh that's awesome that's awesome and is there anything that's coming down the pike that we can uh, that we that that you can share with us that we can be looking forward to, or is that all kind of under an NDA? The next thing I'm working on that'll or the next thing that'll be out is not a Star Trek title. It is uh, Kevin, my writing partner, and I have a story in an anthology called Thrilling Adventure Yarns, uh, Volume Two, and it's edited by Bob Greenberger, who you know from Shore Leave. Oh yeah, and oh, yeah. is published by C- Crazy Eight Press. So it's basically an anthology of pulp inspired action adventure stories oh how fun yeah so i think they're premiering it at the farpoint convention which i guess has just recently announced they're going are they are they have they announced they're going virtual yeah they're 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 going i don't they did okay well bob's bob's intention was to premiere the anthology at the farpoint convention and as far as i know he's holding to his timetable as best he can despite the fact that the con is going virtual awesome awesome very good very cool. Well, and everything else everything else I'm working on is still under NDA. I can't talk about it. So. Talk about it. We have to shoot. Got it. Um, there you go. There we go. Something like that. Well, Dayton, it's been a pleasure to chat with you again. It's been fantastic having you back on the show. That's been fun. Been a long time. I, yeah. I had to go look out there. I think it's been years. It's like it's been a couple, three years since yeah, the last so time we, we talked. We got to make sure that doesn't happen again. So well, we'll, fi- okay. we'll, we'll, we'll figure out an excuse to get you back on the show. So. Sure you will. I just look. The last time we talked was May 2018. We talked about Star Trek Three. We were doing some kind of movie review or movie walk. Oh yeah, we did. We did have you on for that. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was way back when in the before time. Yeah, back in the dark ages, three years ago. But <laughs> no, we live in the dark ages now. Yes, yeah, dark ages now. <laughs> but all right, well, uh, let's go ahead and uh, wrap up the show. Our next show, our next pilot is going to be Picard, right? That's coming down in about a month. Yes. yes and uh, we'll do a more general show with, uh, I don't know if we have any interviews lined up, but we'll have to we'll have to figure that out off the air here. But. All right. Well, I believe that about does it. Uh, Miles, why don't you, uh, is there anything else we need to talk about? Or we should, I think that's about it, right? No, we covered it. Okay, good. Well, Miles, why don't you take us out of the show then? Till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Dave, can you speak? Yes, I can speak. Is this loud enough for you? Unfortunately. (laughs) Ha! <laughs>
Uh, but yeah. Uh, so it begins. <laughs> okay. All right, I see it. Um, okay, I'm going to put his name in. So we're reviewing the Discovery Channel tonight, right? The Discovery Channel, yes. Yes, that, and, exactly. And how they do it on the Discovery Channel. I, I knew you would ruin it somehow, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> or I could see how they do it in Discovery, and it would be about the same thing. It's funny because that song used to come on MTV, balanced right after some Limp Biscuit song. Then it was that, and it was a third one. I knew I could turn tune MTV in at a certain time, and I'd catch all three of them in a row. I should I should put that as the opening song for this episode. <laughs> do it like they do on the Discovery. <laughs> okay, so come I found on, his baby, name. I we ain't on nothing but mammals. Do it like it's the Discovery Channel. What, what was that, Miles? So I, I clicked his name. Yeah. And add done. Okay. Yeah. And then he's been okay. invited. So I'm just waiting for him to respond then. Okay. Ah, that song going through my head. Great. Save it, save it for sci-fi diner karaoke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to message Dayton, just let him know that we sent him an invite. How you doing, Dayton? Not bad now. I'm trying to make sure we got all the tech garbage worked out. Oh, I know. I'm not sure what much sure what was happening. That's all right. I mean, I got the, I saw, I got your first call, but it, when I tapped the, you know, when I tapped it, it just blew me off and then hung up. And then I saw Miles send an invite in on my desktop and I'm like, all right, I'll tap that. Nothing. So I'm like, all right, apparently this is not going to happen. Yeah, I don't know, but here we are. Freaking technology! Oh, curses! It's great when it works. Right. All right. So as long as you guys can hear me, okay, I guess we're fine. Yeah. Can you hear? Can you hear us? Okay. I can hear you. I'm just worried about my setup because uh, I'm not a professional podcaster like you guys. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I like to think that we know a little bit. I don't know if we're professional, but. Uh, I like to think we know something after podcasting 11 years. You're more professional than I am, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, that's, uh, that's the way it goes. Do we got Dave? Yep. Dave, yeah, Dave's here. I can't, I can't see anybody for some reason, but if I can hear you, that's all that, That's all that matters. I can see all your I was told there wouldn't... I was told there'd be no pants involved, so, you know... <laughs> Well, that's possible. I mean, I, I can only see the the head of Miles and Dave, and so who knows what's happening underneath. All right. That's the moneymaker right here. There you go. No pants Thursday. Telecommuting for a year, you know. Why bother? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, it, so uh, what what are you doing with yourself, Dayton, right now, talking about commuting? <laughs> Well, there's any number of ways we can go with that question. But well, yeah. <laughs> Let's keep it family friendly. Um, I hear, I hear. You. So the only thing I know is that you're teaching your daughter how to play Russian the piano. That's all. Yeah. No. Um. <laughs> I mean, my my. I mean, I was working at home even before all of that stuff. I mean, I was I was always a full time. I've been a full time home worker forever. So, 
my life in that regard did not change. What changed <laughs> was the fact that, you know, my wife is now a work-at-home person, and my kids are doing school from home. So everybody's home all the time. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like a dad needs five or six uninterrupted hours where he can focus on his work. Well, that's not really going to happen a lot. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so I end up working like I used to do in the old days when I had a full-time job where I get most of my good writing done after everybody else goes to bed. Mm. So that makes for some long days. Oh, it's a- well, you know what? It's great to have you back here in the Sci-Fi Diner and talking about Discovery. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's see. Oh, we got all kinds of stuff to talk about. Oh yeah. I mean, because I'm not just I'm not just doing the writing stuff. I'm also doing the consulting bit. So there's that's a wealth of fun stuff to talk about. Right all there. right. Well, we'll so what we'll do uh, the way that we I mean you have been on the show before we'll do a we'll do our introduction we'll introduce you Miles um, will give you an introduction and we're going to start by allowing you to kind of talk about what's going on in your world regarding writing consulting whatever you want to talk about and then we'll move into discovery. Okay. And maybe there's tie-ins to that anyway. Oh yeah, there's a, it's all connected. It's one big hairball on my plate. <laughs> one big triple. It's all Star Trek all the time in my place. 24. Man, if yeah, more like 34/7. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh let me see do I I, I think I this. But go ahead um go ahead if you want to bring us into the show, go ahead. I'm recording. All right. Tonight, we are going to talk about... Do you want to... Inter- oh, uh, I, wait. You know what? I realized that I introduced the show. Then you followed. Yeah. So forget. So, You're <laughs> this I, I, I've only been doing this. You know, there there goes Dayton says professional podcast, and I suddenly I forget what I'm doing. I'm like, what are you talking professional? I don't know how to yeah. do this crap. Stick to the script. Uh, so pro- professional, professional lasted three minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> New yeah. record. Hey, we got blooper reel material for the end of the That's show. That's right. That's right. right. That's right. Because there's always blooper. 